The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. really nice to see so many old friends from near and far and also um, people I haven't met yet. Uh, my name is Fugan and I'm speaking to you from Hyannis Zendo on Cape Cod and uh, it is a pleasure to be here this morning. So as, as Gesho was uh, chanting and sounding the bell, um, I was hearing the birds in her place, speaking to the birds outside the window here. And um, it was as if this kind of golden thread of sound was woven into her voice. Uh, it was quite stunning. And there's, there's a gata that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh shares about uh, listening to the bell. And it goes like this. Listen, listen, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true self. And this, this verse that we can say to ourselves when we hear the sound of the bell reminds us to be present. And Thai or Thich Nhat Hanh suggests using it when you hear the bell in the temple. And also when we hear bells rung throughout the day, even the telephone ringing or a church bell. You can use it when a text comes up on your phone and you hear that little ping sound. Um, the buzzer rings on your apartment door. A subway announcement that it's arriving. Yeah, we can listen to this moment right now, anytime. When she was very young, the composer Pauline Oliveros came up with a gata of her own that she would use uh, throughout her life. And her gata is, or her meditation is, listen to everything all the time and remind yourself when you are not listening. And that, that uh, meditation reminds me of Zwigan, who used to call to himself every day, oh master. And then he would answer himself, yes, are you awake? Yes, I am. Then he would say to himself, never be deceived by others any day, any time. No, I will not. Right? So sound lives in the present. And when we listen closely to sound in the present, we abide in the present moment. And we, when we notice ourselves not listening, we, we can remind ourselves, oh, Fugan, are you listening? Are you awake? Listen, listen to everything all the time and remind yourself when you are not listening. The birds can remind us the text on our phone. And in Buddhism, we recognize uh, six sense organs, uh, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, the sense of touch and our minds and also six sense objects, forms, sound, smells, tastes, touch, and phenomenon, and six realms of associated consciousness is. And desires and attachment arise, arise through these six senses. 
but we also use these sense doors uh, or openings or holes, as we sometimes say, as gates, gates of liberation, right? This is how we listen, listen, how we look, look right now. And when we think about our style of practice, it's often uh, silence that stands out to people. I've heard many family and friends say, oh, you know, I could never do a retreat with you. It's just the silence would drive me nuts. But our retreats are full of sound, full of wonderful sounds. You know, I know many of you sat our recent sessions this summer and you quickly remembered, or if this was your first one, you learned that everything from the moment of waking up when the uh, Jikido walks down the halls, ringing that bell, you know, to the teacher entering the Zendo with the soft chanting and the sound of her footsteps, uh, from meal times to when to sit down or stand up, everything is marked with sounds, signaled by sound. And in Mahayana Buddhism, uh, according to the Buddhist scholar P.N. Chen, hearing is regarded as the best method for living beings to achieve the supreme bodhi, to wake up. And so in our practice, we limit our visual input on purpose, right? During retreat and during our regular zazen, we walk with our eyes down when we're doing kinhin, um, we sit facing the wall, and in that way, sound is prioritized. And this is in sharp contrast to our daily lives, where our listening is kind of muddied, um, to, you know, to say the least. Right? When there's a sound we don't like, uh, could be subway noise, uh, if you're on an airplane, regular city sounds, uh, maybe someone is going to say hello to us. Right, we drowned out that sound. Um, you know, we put in earphones and we add sounds on top of sounds. And we continually overconsume sounds to the point where our listening gets dulled. Right, maybe we don't want to listen to what's going on in our thinking. And so we add some sound to that. And by creating a transparent, kind of sonic environment in our practice, we allow ourselves to, to really hear sound. And in this way, listening becomes a vital activity. And I was, in, I was inspired uh, to think and talk about sound and listening this morning after reading a recent email by Jifu, um, our resident uh, music maven and uh, guru. And she started this, this email like this. She said, the sound of the cosmos, the sirens, the quiet stream, the echo, a whisper, sound goes on forever. Right? What a beautiful evocation of, of living in the moment, in the sounded moment, of hearing the world in the sirens going by on the street, or, or maybe she meant the siren song, I'm not sure. Right? but in the soundscape where we find ourselves in this very moment. And over the last few weeks, I've been uh, preparing a new class that I'm gonna teach this fall uh, called Soundscapes, Music as Human Practice. 
And I think if I were to uh, rename it, I'd call it soundscapes listening as human practice. And soundscapes are kind of the analog to landscapes, but made from sound. And a main focus in this class is going to be listening. And in sound studies, which is kind of where this class will fall, and also in sound compositioning, composition, listening is a big deal. And they use the term multimodal listening uh, in, in this field to describe listening that goes beyond just hearing through the ear, which uh, one author calls earing, E-A-R-I-N-G, which I kind of like. Multimodal listening incorporates all our senses in encountering this moment through sound or just encountering this moment. And Zen teachers have long recognized that true listening goes well beyond the ear. As Dongshan Dong uh, Dong Liangjie put it, if you use your ears to listen, you'll never understand. Only when you hear in your eyes will you know. So in multimodal listening, there's a focus on using all the senses, all our awareness uh, to become integrated into the ecology of, of sound. Right? This is sound as, as relationship, a relationship that's a co-presence of sound and listening. Sounding, what's producing the sound, and being sounded, what's listening to the sound. And a composer named Steph Sarasso uh, calls this type of listening a lively integration. And I love that, a lively integration. And it strikes me as a great description of how Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of great compassion, listens to the world. Avalokiteshvara is known as uh, Kanan Bosatsu or Kanzeon in Japan, and she's a central uh, focus in our practice. Right? And she appears in our liturgy all the time, like in our uh, Heart Sutra chanting this morning and when we chant the Emme Juku Kanangyo. And when we invoke Avalokiteshvara, we're invoking the energy of great compassion within us. And this bodhisattva energy is realized through our practice and manifests naturally when we can see or hear clearly what's needed at the moment. With deep listening, we relieve the suffering we encounter. A common way that Avalokiteshvara's name is translated as the bodhisattva who hears the cries of the world. And this emphasizes her ability or our ability to respond to suffering and our vow to save all beings. In uh, chapter 25, I think it is, of the Lotus Sutra, there's a list of 35 ways that Avalokiteshvara can appear. Right? If what's needed at the moment is a monk or a nun, a layman or laywoman, that's how Avalokiteshvara appears. When a householder, a spouse, a minister, a young girl or a young boy, a dragon, a demon, or a heavenly spirit is needed, Avalokiteshvara appears exactly like that. She might be a nurse practitioner. Right? She might be a pianist. She might drive the sweet 
street sweeping truck or open the Zendo in the morning or host the Zoom, uh, the Zoom this morning. She might be digging a ditch today. And when you offer directions to a tourist lost in a Cape Cod town, uh, drop a dollar into someone's cup on the street, listen to a friend in need or a Sangha member uh, who's often alone. This is Avalokita appearing. She appears when we listen deeply. And while hearing the suffering of the world, the cries of the world is crucial, uh, attending to suffering is not all that Avalokiteshvara does, or she would burn out. And in fact, when she first took this vow uh, to save all suffering beings, the story goes, she went forth and cleansed the entire world of suffering. And just as she finished this immense, impossible task, she turned back to look at the world and saw unending suffering immediately arising. And seeing this, she was so discouraged that her head exploded. And so Amitabha Buddha appeared and put her back together. And he put her back together with 10 heads looking in the 10 directions and an 11th head on top. This is Amitabha Buddha's head. So she can see in all directions. And so in addition to suffering, Avalokiteshvara hears the beauty of the world. And that listening brings us great joy. And this allows us to sustain our vow. And her name translates more directly as perceiver of world sounds, or the one who listens deeply to the sounds of the world. Uh, Thai or Thich Nhat Hanh calls her the bodhisattva of deep listening. And she's also known as the bestower of fearlessness because of this listening. Listening to the world like Avalokita is to take our listening out of the routine. You know, a song we listen to over and over eventually loses its liveliness and it could com become background sound or habit, uh, memory, more than something it's lived in the moment. Right, the subway sounds we block out are simply an everyday annoyance that we become accustomed to. But in our Zen practice, we can let go of ideas of what we're hearing so we can truly listen. When we hear a jackhammer walking down the street, we immediately put that into the basket of an annoyance and do our best to, to avoid listening to it. But when that same sound comes into the window of the Zendo, you know, we, we, well, we'll probably still be annoyed, but we have the space to notice the process that gets us there. Right, the sound arises, pop, 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 pop. And our mind categorizes that sound, jackhammer. You know, we react to it, oh shit. You know, and then we experience some kind of emotional or psychological reflection result of that reaction. We might get deflated or feel some trepidation that, you know, is this gonna keep going on and on all period? And the same process can happen with the, the bird songs or the leaves rustling coming through the Zendo windows. You know, we might say, oh, how beautiful. This is so perfect for meditation. You know, I hope it goes on and on. You know, what kind of bird is that? I wish I had my Merlin app out to figure this out. Right? We, we've um, 
grasped after that, right? We've separated ourselves from the song through grasping or from the jackhammer through aversion. And then in that moment, you know, Paulino Oliveros uh, meditation, we can remind ourselves we are not listening. And as we practice more and more, we see what's going on in this process and become less carried away by routine thinking. And then we can hear the bird song, not our idea of it. The breeze resonates in our hearts and even the backing up of a garbage truck, that beep, 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 can bring us back to our true self. And then maybe gratitude arises that the garbage is actually being picked up. You know, we have some compassion for the worker on a hot summer day uh, out there doing this work. In the uh, Surangama Sutra, the Buddha asked 25 bodhisattvas to describe their meditation practice. Avalokita explains her practice of deep listening, of dropping away ideas of listening, dropping ideas of listening and listener, and dropping away body and mind. The Buddha then asked Manjushri to evaluate these 25 methods, and Manjushri declares Avalokiteshvara's practice as being best suited for people in the human realm, for us. Right? Listening with our whole being allows us to hear outside of our routine ways. Right? Jifu's sound of the stream and the sirens appear just as they are. You know, we hear what our friend needs and respond to them as they are. We listen closely to the injustices that we see all around us, to the suffering, and we can act, you know, make a call, pick up a sign, march, donate. Right? We see some litter on the street, on the beach, and we pick it up. Avalokiteshvara is sometimes depicted with a thousand arms and hands, and in each hand is an eye in the palm of her hand. Yunyan asked Dawu, what does the Bodhisattva of great compassion use so many hands and eyes for? Wu said, it's like someone reaching back, groping for a pillow in the middle of the night. Right, this action is as, as natural as reaching back for our pillow. Right, seeing the cries of the world, listening to world sounds, right, listening with those thousand eyes, we use the, these two hands to act. It's as simple as that. This is Avalokiteshvara, hearing the world sounds. And I'm gonna finish with a few lines taken from Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. Now I will do nothing but listen to accrue what I hear into this song, to let sounds contribute toward it, I hear all sounds running together, combined, fused, or following. Sounds of the city and sounds out of the city. Sounds of the day and night. I hear the chorus. It is a grand opera. Ah, this is indeed, this indeed is music. This suits me. At length, let up again to feel the puzzle of puzzles and that we call being. Thank you.